The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 629 for July 1st, 2018. Three new chipsets from Qualcomm, the Wi-Fi Alliance launches WPA3, and AT&T increases its administrative fee. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, first in the news, the Wi-Fi Alliance launched Wi-Fi certified WPA3, its fully updated security protocol for Wi-Fi. The Alliance first announced WPA3 in January, and the announcement this week is the updated standards introduction to real-world products. There are two branches of WPA3, WPA3 Personal and WPA3 Enterprise, each with its own distinct mode of operation. One core feature of WPA3 is stronger protection, even when users choose weak passwords. It simplifies the process of securing access points that don't have a display or interface, and the Wi-Fi Alliance calls this Wi-Fi certified Easy Connect. The standard provides individualized data encryption to protect data as it moves from computers, tablets, and phones to access points. WPA3 also includes a 192-bit security suite to help businesses and governments adopt the highest levels of protection. The Wi-Fi Alliance says WPA2 devices will continue to operate as before and can interact with devices that have adopted the new standard. There are currently no WPA3 devices in the market. Yeah, this is very exciting. It's it's long overdue that we have the next standard for Wi-Fi security because, you know, WPA2 has been around for a very long time. It is still relatively secure, which is great for everybody, but it is definitely time to uh, harden it down here and uh, get uh, a, a more friendly process with more security in, in time here. But, you know, given this late adoption of the standard, I doubt we'll see that in this year's iPhone, uh, which, you know, it's kind of like would be the big kind of benchmark device here uh, for this year. So it's going to be a while before this hits all the devices that we have in our uh, existence and our lives that we use. Yeah, likely no iPhone, obviously no Samsung uh, device this year. The S9, of course, uh, was announced uh, months ago. Uh, Most of the flagships are out as well. So yeah, it's going to be 2019 devices before we see this. And uh, but, uh, you know, good news that it's uh, fully updated now. And uh, so we're ready to roll here with it as soon as new devices take it on. Next up, Qualcomm on Wednesday announced three new Snapdragon processors, one in the 600 series and two in the 400 series. All three make strides in efficiency, performance, and battery life, while also introducing advanced modem features and artificial intelligence on the systems on a chip. Shared features include support for voice over LTE, HD voice, dual SIM cards, DRM, fingerprint readers, NFC, and secure mobile payments. There's also aptX and Qualcomm's Neural SDK and Android's neural network as well. As for the specifics on each, first up, the Snapdragon 632. This is the 600 series Snapdragon uh, sub for sub-flagship devices. It's got a Cryo 250 CPU with eight ARM Cortex-A53 cores clocked at up to 1.8 gigahertz, paired with the Adreno 506 GPU. Qualcomm says the FinFET process bo- boosts calculation performance by 40% and graphics performance by 10%. 
and that compares, of course, to the preceding chips. Uh, the Snapdragon 632 supports a single 24-megapixel camera and two 13-megapixel cameras aided by artificial intelligence as well as 4K video capture. The 632 includes an X9 LTE modem with support for LTE-A and multiple carrier aggregation. Then there's the Snapdragon 439. This targets the mid-end or high-end and mid-range devices. Eight cores of in the CPU uh, with the A53 in a big dot little configuration. The four performance cores are clocked at 1.95 gigahertz, and the four efficiency cores at 1.45. They're joined by an Adreno 505 GPU, and Qualcomm says the 439 boosts calculation performance by 25% and graphics by 20%. Uh, the 439 has a single supports a single 21 megapixel camera or two 8 megapixel cameras with full HD video capture, and it includes an X6 LTE modem. And finally, the Snapdragon 429 for mid-range phones. Uh, so it has four A53s clocked at 1.95 gigahertz in an Adreno 504 GPU. It improves calculation performance by 25% and graphics by 50%. It supports a single 16-megapixel camera, two 8-megapixel cameras, and it's got an X6 LTE modem. They expect the devices based on the uh, 632, 439, and 429 to launch in the second half of the year. And along with the new processors, Qualcomm also announced the Snapdragon Wear 2500. This is its update to its platform for wearables. The 2500 targets wearables for children and is based on a quad-core A7 processor with an integrated GPU with support for cameras up to 5 megapixels for video chatting. It's also based on the small version of Android O that fits on 512 megabytes. Uh, it bakes in support for various voice assistants, including Google Assistant, includes NFC so kids can make mobile payments when needed. Other features include the Snapdragon uh, include low power Bluetooth, LTE, location tracking, and an advanced sensor hub to accurately track movement. It does all of this in a compact form factor and will be more efficient than the previous generation silicon. Uh, Qualcomm is shipping samples now and will offer a develop- developer kit coming this fall. I can't believe they have a platform targeted at children, oh, children's wearables. That's, that's really crazy. So I guess uh, look forward to all kinds of children-focused devices coming up in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, when you think about, you know, what the, you know, what parents are looking for and they want to obviously keep tabs on where their kids are, they want to be able to keep in communication with them. Uh, and they also want them to be able to do different things. And I think the, one of the more interesting things is this mobile payments integration, because obviously that could uh, be, you know, under the supervision of a parent and could actually be a lot more secure than like a credit card or cash. Right. I want to know when the wearables for the dogs are coming. <laughs> right. So, I mean, in all seriousness, to have something that you can track a pet, you know, remotely and, uh, you know, be able to, you know, talk to them, I guess, you know, if they were to run away or something like that, there's all sorts of interesting things that could happen. Uh, and it wouldn't take a whole lot of uh, processing power or software to make that happen. Uh, and then it, when it comes to wireless earbuds, Qualcomm wants to help lower the cost for consumers. They introduced the QCC 3026. This is a new Bluetooth audio system on a chip that device makes can use to quickly build new products. Uh, Qualcomm says the QCC 3026 is made to help device makers balance functionality and cost. It reduces power consumption by up to 50% when compared to earlier generation chips. It's specifically aimed at phone makers that may have to remove the headphone jacks from their phones. Qualcomm believes phone makers will be able to design quality sounding Bluetooth earbuds at a cost point that allows them to package them in the box along with the phone. The QCC 3026 now serves 
serves as an alternative to Qualcomm's high-end QCC 5100 system on its ship, which was announced earlier this year. Uh, Oppo has already committed to using the new SoC for Buds and to be included with its flagship Find X phone. Yeah, and of course, this chipset is really what makes these earbuds possible entirely. So uh, it's exciting to have a, a nice, you know, platform that Qualcomm's building for these because uh, the more that they're around and the cheaper they are, you know, of course, the better it is for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, the most, uh, you know, when you, when you think about the the most used accessory that's out there, uh, it's definitely headphones. And um, you know, most of the people that are I, I see at least walking around are using the the standard headphones that come in the box, um, which is crazy because these are you know obviously not high quality in many cases. And so to be able to put something in there, especially something Bluetooth, would be great. Um, you know, I I love the Bluetooth headphones that I have. I use them quite a bit. Uh, and I do think that, you know, once you start using them to have to go back to a wired headset is, is, uh, almost feels antiquated. So, uh, it would be nice to see that, uh, you know, finally some devices coming with uh, Bluetooth headphones in the box. So definitely like, uh, like to see here, like what I see here. Uh, next, in a battle uh, that's been going on for seven years, Apple and Samsung this week so they've reached a settlement in their ongoing fight over patents. The two companies began filing a litigation against one another back in 2011 when Apple accused Samsung of copying its designs. In 2012, a jury awarded Apple $1 billion finding that Samsung willfully copied Apple's designs. The reward has been reduced to $539 million in subsequent appeals, most recently in May. Uh, the companies have already settled other claims made after 2012. AT&T Tuesday said it has added a number of rewards and promotions to AT&T Thanks, which is its customer appreciation program. Once AT&T customers download the app and sign up for the program, they'll have access to a priority pre-sales and sweepstakes for a handful of concerts. AT&T has partnered with iHeartRadio to schedule 10 pop-up concerts this summer in cities including Austin, Charlotte, Cleveland, Dallas, Indy, Memphis, Orlando, Philly, San Francisco, and Seattle. In addition to early access tickets, Thanks participants may be able to interact with the artists at the site. Uh, AT&T Thanks is gaining dining deals as well, where participants can find offers and discounts at chain restaurants, including Corner Bakery Cafe, TGI Fridays, Texas Day Brazil, and Blaze Pizza. AT&T Thanks is available only to a postpaid AT&T Wireless, DirecTV, Uverse, and AT&T Internet customers. The app is available to Android and iOS devices. AT&T has quietly increased the administration fee of its to its wireless customers from $0.76 cents to $1.99 per month, multiplied monthly by its 64.5 million postpaid customers, and to increase the it, it will increase AT&T's revenue by around $800 million per year. AT&T says the fee has not been raised in several years, and they say, quote, this is a standard administration fee across the wireless industry, and it helps us cover the costs we incur for items like cell site maintenance and interconnection between carriers. Uh, the increase was first noticed by the BTIG research analyst Walter Piskey. Uh, the carriers all tack on various monthly fees onto bills. AT&T likely hoping subscribers won't notice that their per-line bill is going up because it's only $1.23 a month. The fee is being assessed against all postpaid subscribers regardless of the service plan or any grandfathering. These fees, it's like resort fees when you go to a hotel now. All of a sudden, you've got, you know, 25 bucks a night that you have to pay to use the pool. But you can't opt out of these things. So these are 
basically the, the the plan you're paying is more expensive than what they're advertising and it's false advertising i do not know how companies are getting away with this garbage i want to use a lot of expletives here because this is not uh it's not legitimate i mean comcast is terrible your phone company is terrible they all have these you know quote unquote fees and they make it look like taxes but they're not they're just add on you know add on money to the price of your uh place of your plan that you they did not tell you was coming and they did not advertise that and uh that was the case and it's just not uh, it shouldn't be allowed uh these these fees are absolutely infuriating yeah it, indeed and you know the other uh you know side of it is when you've got a company that ter- decides to you know include everything all in and at the very least you know what you're going to be getting when you see that advertised price that's what you're going to be paying and perhaps it's more uh than you know you might find advertised somewhere else uh but again you get what you keep, you pay for in many of these cases so um, this is uh, something that I'm kind of guessing is going to be, you know, something that others will follow uh, with the increase of their administration fees. But I'm, I'm hopeful that we've got at least a few months before that happens. AT&T agreeing to pay a fine of $5.25 million to the FCC for its failure to connect 911 calls during two periods last year. The FCC called the five-hour outage on March 20, in March of 2017 and the 49-minute outage in May of 2017, during which approximately 12,600 and 2,600 911 emergency calls respectively had failed. They called that unacceptable. Uh, the FCC's investigation found out that during the March outage, the company failed to quickly, clearly, and fully notify all affected 911 call centers, said the FCC. Such preventable outages are unacceptable. Uh, robust and reliable 911 service is a national priority, as repeatedly expressed by both Congress and the Commission. Carriers have the responsibility to prevent uh, outages, and if they do take place, quickly informed the Commission on and affected 911 call centers. In addition to the fine, AT&T will implement new measures to ensure it makes the proper notifications should future outages occur. 12,600 calls did not get completed during a five-hour period. 12,000! That's amazing! Uh, that's horrible. I can't believe it took them that long to get it fixed. Yeah, it's not like this was just, you know, one area that had, you know, no service. I mean, this was a a, a massive area, obviously, you know, 12,000 calls. Most call centers uh, experience pretty high volumes, but over the course of just five hours, you know, in, in this other one, 47 minutes and there's 2,600, you know, that's that's not just happening in one city. It's completely unacceptable and they should have been even fined more than that, really, in my opinion. Uh, well, either way, they're, um, you know, obviously they're taking this seriously and they're going to be implementing new measures, as they say, and uh, we'll hopefully not see these things happen in the future. Verizon this week announcing new discounts for members of the U.S. Armed Services available now. The company is offering savings on its unlimited plans, so military families can select the unlimited plan that best suits them and then apply for a $15 discount off one line, $35 off of two lines, or $40 off of three or more lines. Verizon says active duty military, reservists, Gold Star families, and veterans can take advantage of this offer by signing into their account and choosing the plan they need. Verizon also said military families can score a $200 MasterCard prepaid card if they activate a new line of service on a 4G LTE smartphone. T-Mobile Monday rolled out Family Mode, a new service that gives parents more control over how their kids use smartphones and other connected devices. The service relies on what T-Mobile calls the Family Mode Home Base. This is an in-home box that connects to Wi-Fi and then controls the devices over the internet. With the accompanying app, parents can manage usage time, set limits, filter apps and content, set bedtime hours, create geofences, 
and always access real-time location. T-Mobile says the service works with phones, tablets, gaming consoles, laptops, TVs, and other Wi-Fi connected devices. The family mode home base costs $20 and the service is $10 per month. The Attorney General's Office from New York is investigating if and how T-Mobile's proposed merger with Sprint might have impacted the MVNO and other prepaid markets. Sprint and T-Mobile separately serve the prepaid space with their own Boost Mobile and Metro PCS brands, respectively, as well as MVNOs such as Google's uh, Project Fi. With reduced competition, the New York Attorney General is concerned that the tie-up between the two companies could lead to higher prices for prepaid consumers. Dozens of other states are participating in the investigation as well, according to the Wall Street Journal. It mirrors a separate one underway by the U.S. Department of Justice, which has similar concerns. The companies insist the deal will create jobs and ensure the combined entities can compete with AT&T and Verizon. I mean, MVNOs are very important because they really are for the cost-conscious consumer and also for people that, that don't have good credit. But again, it feels like the, the four kind of keep the prices all in line anyway, so I don't really know if having just three major uh, companies is going to make that much difference for pricing. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it will or not. Well, I mean, obviously, Sprint has gone after the we sell half, uh, you know, we sell our service for half the price of the big guys and T-Mobile's all about the value add and the, you know, Verizon and uh, AT&T just kind of keep their prices in tow uh, with each other. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that we're going to see a whole lot here, although I think Sprint, uh, the new Sprint slash T-Mobile um, is going to uh, do some things, you know, whatever it is, just to make themselves dip, you know, differentiated in some ways. But uh, we will uh, keep an eye on this one as we go. Uh, in device news, just one piece this week. Sony Mobile on Wednesday said that its high-end flagship phone, the XZ Two premium will go on sale in July for $1,000. The phone will be available for pre-order from Amazon and Best Buy starting on July 9th, with retail availability expected July 30th. The XZ2 Premium has a 5.8-inch 4K HDR display with a 16 by 9 aspect ratio, which is 30% brighter than the previous mobile 4K screen. Uh, it also includes the new Motion Eye dual camera that's capable of capturing ISO 51,200 for photos and, uh, and ISO uh, 12,800 during video, meaning it delivers more detail in nighttime pictures. It supports selectable Booka 4K HDR video capture and 960 frames per second super slow motion in 1080p HD. The user-facing camera has a 13-megapixel sensor with a display-based flash. It includes the S-Force front surround speakers and the dynamic vibration system so owners can feel the action in their hands. The phone is powered by a Qualcomm Snapdragon 845 processor, 6 gigs of RAM, 3540 milliamp hour battery, Qi wireless charging, NFC, USB-C for charging, uh, Bluetooth 5, aptX HD, uh, 64 gigs of storage, and support for memory cards up to 400 gigs. It's got a glass and metal design with Gorilla Glass 5 on the front and back, IP68 for protection against splashes and spills. It'll be bundled with Sony's Xperia Ear Duo headphones. In software news, Apple on Monday made iOS 12 available in beta for those interested in testing the pre-release OS. The platform has already been available uh, for developers for the past couple of weeks, but consumers can now test out the platform and will just need to head to Apple's website and download and install the public beta profile to their device. Once installed, the beta will show up through the normal software update tool in the system settings and will run on iPhones back to the 2013-era iPhone 5S. iOS 12 includes a number of new features, such as improved notifications, Memoji for the iPhone 10, performance refinements, screen time for monitoring usage, and better security. Final versions of iOS 12 arrive in the fall. 
So in years past, I actually did usually do the public beta the past couple of years on my iPad. And uh, it, while it was okay uh, the past couple of years, uh, this version of iOS, I'm actually just going to skip for probably months after its release because iOS 11 was so bad and even High Sierra for the Mac was not very good. I, I literally just installed it this week on my work Mac because I wanted it to be stable as heck because the, the .5 uh, uh, service uh, release just came out uh, in the past couple weeks and that's how kind of bad it's been for me and uh, I'm going to wait for iOS 12 for it probably at least until uh, sometime in you know the, the, the second quarter of 2018 at this rate. Well, and, you know, I guess the good news is that we're focused on, you know, security, we're focused on refinements and, and usability and speed and whatnot. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, at least I'm optimistic that what they're doing is really focusing on making, you know, people like you, uh, you know, more comfortable with updating and getting their software right in the first versions of the release. Because you're right, when we've been at the dot zero releases over the past couple of years, I mean, it, it's been five years since we've been able to really count on something to be stable when it first comes out. Right, and of course, so many people were completely burned by the iOS 7 update, uh, how much it drastically shifted and, and the look and the buttons all vanished because everything's just, you just can't tell where anything's actionable anymore. Uh, people are still angry at that. Like my users are still like, oh, that one time I updated and everything changed. They're still bitter about iOS 7. Yeah, which is amazing because, again, five years ago, and that's, uh, you know, that's in the scheme of things. I mean, this is half the life of the iPhone. So you've got, uh, you definitely have a lot of uh, skeptics here on this. And, you know, the other side of it is, you know, if you've got something that works, you might as well just keep it going because these are, these are very important devices in our lives at this point. And so you definitely want it to be working as best as it possibly can be. Well, in other Apple news, Apple hopes to improve its Maps application and service by rebuilding them from the ground up with all new data. Apple launched Maps six years ago, relying on data from third-party providers such as TomTom, and Map data was often incorrect or out of date at launch, though of course has improved over time. Four years ago, Apple decided to wholly reimagine Maps by starting over, and it's got its own fleet of cars driving around to gather information and is using segments of trips that uh, we all as users take that have been anonymized, according to TechCrunch. That information comes directly from iPhone owners and is used by Apple to determine the validity of routes and whether or not there's traffic congestion. Apple says this data is completely anonymous and only takes ever takes a small picture of an entire trip without recording the beginning and or endpoints. Even so, iPhone owners can opt out of the data collection by using the privacy settings in Maps. Eventually, users will begin to see more information in Maps, such as foliage markers, parking lots, pools, sports complexes, uh, accurate building shapes, and pedestrian pathways. Apple says it has thousands of people working all over the world to improve maps. Apple is going to launch the new map data in the Bay Area in early July with a broader rollout in Northern California expected with the arrival of iOS 12 in the fall. Apple didn't say what state or country level maps will be available when those updates happen. In Android software news, Google this week made it possible to take measurements using Google Earth. The new measurement tool allows users to measure distances between points along with areas of spaces. The feature is available to Google Earth in Chrome right away. It reaches Android devices this week and will come to iOS devices soon. 
Google is now pushing an update to Google Maps that introduces its Google Assistant-powered recommendations. The updated version of Maps announced last month is more accurate and helpful. A new tab called For You provides information about local neighborhoods. It offers suggestions for activities, tools, and finding for finding restaurants and other recommendations through a new feature called Your Match. The third tool helps people provide and plan group outings. A long press of place cards saves them to a shareable message thread where people can view places and vote on where to go. The new Maps has a new focus on the small business and helps people keep tabs on what their local stores are doing, what their hours are, and what sales are available. Maps adds a computer vision or virtual visual processing system or VPS feature that allows the camera to help pinpoint locations on a map with proper orientation based on the photo. Finally, Maps taps into the power of Google Lens to provide information based on the cam- what the camera sees. The new Google Maps is being pushed out to Android devices over the next few days. And Google is updating Google Calendar with new tools for those who use it at work. Google is making it easier for people to take control of their downtime with new vacation notifications and work hour scheduling. Users can clearly mark when they'll be unavailable for meetings and other events using the out-of-office toggle. Google Calendar will automatically decline meeting invitations that coincide with time marked out-of-office. Users have more control over out-of-office messages as well. People can set their working hours to protect personal time from being infringed on. So, for example, an office worker can schedule their daily hours from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. A Google Calendar will show that person is unavailable for meetings or events outside of that block. The tool lets people set customized work hours for each day separately if they wish. And these tools are part of Google's digital well-being initiative and are being rolled out to all users over the next few days. And Google's made YouTube's picture-in-picture feature previously exclusive to YouTube premium accounts more widely available. Android users in the U.S. now have free access to picture-in-picture when using YouTube. People can exit YouTube when watching a video, and the video will appear in a separate window while the user completes other tasks. Picture-in-picture requires Android 8 Oreo, and the feature doesn't extend to music videos. In other software, Verizon says it will shut down Go90, its mobile video service, by the end of July. The service launched in 2015 as a free option for consuming video via mobile devices. Following the creation of OAuth, Go90 will be discontinued, said Verizon in a statement. And Verizon says they'll be focusing on building its digital-first brands at scale in sports, finance, and news and entertainment for today's mobile consumers and tomorrow's 5G applications. OAuth is Verizon's content branch and encompasses apps and services from the former AOL and Yahoo brands. Verizon has begun informing its content providers about Go90's imminent closure and said it will return all rights back to its production partners. I don't know about you, but I've never once launched the Go90 video streaming service. I have never even thought about it. Yeah, I mean, I've got obviously Verizon uh, on the iPad, but, um, you know, because I guess the app doesn't come on the device that's one reason i never even think about it but haven't ever sought it out either just not something i really care about and i'm sure the vast majority of people don't either right because what's on there you don't know because you don't know what's on there because you don't know and they don't really tell you and you don't really care because it's probably got nothing worth your time right and it's you know with everything else that you've got now it's you've got plenty of different options and you don't need you don't need it uh into questions and comments we've got four this week so let's jump in First, a comment from Telus, and he says, guys, last week, Joey asked a random question in regard to why there's not an option to tell the new Google Home continuous listening feature to simply stop after your command is finished. 
Well, to answer the question, um, there is. The user can complete uh, the query by simply saying, hey, Google, stop. At that point, the Google Home will cease listening. Uh, now, if a, command, a stop command is not given, the Google Home only listens for a total of eight seconds. Uh, here's, uh, he sent a link here to verify this. And he says, thanks for the show and have a great day. Uh, regards, tell us. Yeah, this is um, obviously great to know. Um, you know, it's it's certainly always listening uh, to understand when that prompt comes through. Uh, but I'm guessing it's it's only doing so for a period of time, as he points out, eight total seconds, uh, certainly longer than what uh, the command that Apple uses for Siri is, though. Right. And so, and so far, all these devices usually, usually just have a uh, kind of a repeating buffer where it's only a, a couple of seconds that just dumps its memory every couple of seconds and it doesn't go anywhere off the chip itself, uh, listening for the magic words to then do the data processing or uploads to the cloud to actually uh, respond to your uh, questions or commands. Yeah. And it was uh, it was a CNET article. So it's a legitimate article. Uh, about how this is how this works, um, which you can read over uh, there at their site. So thanks, tell us very much. Next up, next up, a comment here from Tom. He says, uh, "Cell phone junkies love the show. Uh, thought about the idea that was on last week's show about five G cell and home internet and how they could work." Uh, like Comcast, Xfinity, and uh, their one terabyte cap. So down here in New Mexico, there's a regional cell carrier that does Wi-Fi for a town, and basically it's a router slash modem that takes the broadcasted wi- takes broadcasted Wi-Fi to use. So say T-Mobile does this, a 5G modem router combo combined with a weatherproof rugged style cell antenna attached to the outside of the property. The cell antenna will be a funnel of the cell signal and then broadcast inside the home. So what about the cap? Uh, It could be turned into a data bucket for the subscriber, one bucket for all phones, tablets, and laptops. So say one person has one phone, a tablet, and a laptop, they could use this. Pay one fee for home and mobile and then one bill and relocate as needed and without having to set up the new service. Uh, As for network congestion, maybe the priority list is the way to go. Set up phone calls and text to go on the top, then email, video, and FaceTime. Uh, music streaming and finally video gaming and video and gaming at the bottom of the priority list somewhere downloading software and uploading file sharing of photos etc would fit in thanks uh and looking forward to the next show tom yeah, and there are a lot of services like that where there is a local Wi-Fi or even uh, other technologies like Motorola Canopy uh, backend technologies where it's a, it is a point-to-point Wi-Fi slash data network where you've got a, a broadcast tower and you know tons of homes can communicate with this uh, particular ISP on a tower up, uh, up somewhere where everybody's got line of essentially line of sight, not always necessarily line of sight, but, but kind of close to line of sight. And, they, and those do exist in towns around, but... Uh, yes, having it more on a T-Mobile side of things would kind of make sense to me, and I think that's what they're—I I know that's what they're going for here with 5G—is they they want to go after the home broadband connection with 5G. Yeah, and obviously, if they can provide the speeds, and uh, there's not a, a cap or a limit that is, uh, you know, something that people are going to run up against, then I think it it absolutely makes sense. And you know, because of the, <clears throat> what's going to be deployed when the technology first comes out, it just makes sense. You know, we saw this with 4G, where it was dongles and it was the pucks and it was the stuff that you know wasn't in phones yet. Uh, and I think we're going to see that here with 5G as well, where you're going to have those, you know, I'll just say fixed asset or fixed uh, hardware. Uh, that are going to make more sense. And once they get that stuff out, then we're going to really get a sense of of how this is going to work. But, um, you know, look for this. We've been going on here eight years since LTE first came out. So once this starts rolling out here, and you know, we're probably going to see a good two to three years before it gets fully adopted, um, you know, by most of the manufacturers that are out there. 
and uh, almost certainly it's going to be care, you know, uh, excuse me, device makers like Apple uh, that are going to wait and make sure that it's fully baked before they they do anything for implementation. But a uh, lot of a uh, lot of good stuff here, a lot of fun stuff to think about. And so thanks, Tom, very much. Next up, a question from Joseph. Uh, back a few podcasts ago, I mentioned that my reception using my Nokia 5130 was sketchy because T-Mobile had removed a base station that was four blocks from me. Since that time, I have been trying to use my Nokia 5130 with two different numbers elsewhere in the Seattle area, and it seems that these devices do not work anywhere in central Seattle. I've not tried them in other areas of Seattle, but I'm betting that I found the same thing and it will not work there either. What I conclude is that the, the GSM network has been shut off. Uh, I'm not surprised that it's happened, but I'm surprised that T-Mobile gave no notice that they were going to do this. Back a few years ago, AT&T was going to shut down the AMPS and IS-136, referred to at that time as TDMA networks. Uh, they did not make it, or they did make it known that what they were going to do. Um, I also note that prior to this behavior of not finding a network when I was still getting a signal, I found... Uh, when I searched for networks, only T-Mobile is found. T-Mobile has made no mention of this intent. Uh, with my mention of T-Mobile and AT&T, I'm, w- I'm wondering if what the situation is in Canada with the GSM networks uh, outside of the, and and the GSM networks outside of North America. Uh, well, Joseph, yeah, AT&T did indeed shut down their network a while back, and yes, they were publicly uh, public about that happening. Um, as to T-Mobile doing the same, um, it is still up in some places uh, here, you know, in the Washington, D.C. area. I still see edge from time to time, um, you know, and whether or not that's something that's being rebroadcast, uh, you know, from a, uh, a femtocell or some sort of other piece of equipment or if that's actually coming from T-Mobile themselves. I do occasionally see it from time to time. So uh, but perhaps they have shut it down in certain places to refarm that spectrum for other purposes. Well, now I'm thinking back, I don't know if Edge is necessarily GSM, because that was GPRS that did the data over GSM. So I don't know if Edge is actually that or not. But uh, in this uh, note here, you know, TDMA, boy, I haven't thought about that uh, technology in a long time. That was one of the the real first things that AT&T used that got the kind of the nationwide digital network up and running. That was, you know, that was a big deal when that network came out and allowed you to have nationwide, you know, basically, uh, you know, long distance free calling uh, from your cell phone. That was a, it was a big deal. I remember that very well. Um, and, and Joseph mentions amps and the shutdown of amps. I mean, that was, when did that happen? That was, it was a minimum of, of six years ago. Um, you know, so we're talking about probably 20, sometime between 2010 and 2012, maybe it was even before than 2009. Um, but it's been a while. And, you know, so ultimately this is, this is just kind of the cycle of, of how this stuff goes. And, you know, you're, you're not going to find these phones are going to hang out and last much longer as, as you've figured out here, just if you've got no coverage now in the Seattle area with it. Right. And of course with Verizon Sprint, you know, they've still have CDMA networks, which are, you know, not as old, but boy, they're getting, they're starting to get up there in years and those are going to start going away here pretty soon as well. Yes, they will. And it's, you know, it's just the experience is not what anybody needs especially with what it is that you're trying to do. It's one thing to make a phone call, but when you're talking about data and it's, you know, when all your data was doing before was pulling down a simple web page and now you're doing, you know, streaming 4K video and whatnot, it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense to be using them anymore. No, and of course, it's just not very uh, spectrum efficient. That's also a good point. And, you know, as we move forward, you want to see this stuff, uh, you know, work in the best possible way because it's a finite resource. So we've got to make sure that we're using it appropriately. Uh, finally today, a comment from Jamie he says, hi there, I'm a cell phone junkie. I'm always looking for ways to keep my cell phone charged. And I found a spring driven cell phone charger um, over at behance.net 
called the Cyclist Step, and it's a hand crank dynamo phone charger. Uh, and you attach it to any gear on a, it's attached to a planetary gear on a spring, and that gearing has ceramic bearings. It's very simple, but they haven't made it in over 10 years. Um, I would love for you to help make my message known that we need to have hand-powered cell phone chargers. No one should be without their cell phone because they can't get it charged. Thank you for the site, Jamie. Yeah, the reason we really don't see much of these these hand chargers is because we actually need way more power than these things put out, and your arm would get way more than tired uh, after not even getting, you know, 0.002% charge on your phone. And that's why these things really don't exist because you really can't uh, hand crank something long enough to actually get any charge. You'd actually need some sort of like a, a bicycle thing to actually get any sort of legitimate charge. That's why solar charges are, are more common uh, these days, especially with our power hungry phones that we have uh, today. Uh, so it's, it's actually just not feasible to uh, have a actual hand charged uh, device. And, you know, the, the solar thing is interesting, too, because, you know, for, um, you know, for photovoltaics to work properly, obviously you need to have full exposure um, to the sun. And um, the amount of power that they generate um, is, is shockingly low uh, based on, you know, what you think it would do. You need a, a pretty large, um, you know, surface area. I remember at one point I got a little, you know, pad that charged a couple of batteries and um, the pad itself was was probably the size of, I don't know, two pieces of paper, like two, maybe, maybe we'll call it like the size of like an eight and a half by 14 sheet of paper. And that charged over like eight hours, two double A batteries is all is all it did. So when you're talking about something to charge up a phone, you know, certainly the technology has gotten better. But to charge up a phone, you're talking about and, and for that period of time, you're talking about a rather large amount of surface area. Absolutely. So the only real viable option to keep your cell phone charged at all times is to carry a battery pack, a spare charged battery pack with you. Mickey, you've got a little tiny one you keep in your wallet. So uh, that is uh, that's an ideal way for the emergency backup power. Yeah. And the the problem with that is that it only does about 25 percent of the battery. And uh, in fact, I haven't used it with that was with the iPhone six. I don't know what the iPhone 10 is like, but um, that's the good news about the iPhone 10 is that it, it the battery is much better. Um, but uh, as you you know, we get these bigger batteries and these bigger phones. You know, you're going to need a bigger backup battery that you need to recharge on a regular basis as well. Um, you know, and, and so it, it's not it's not ideal either. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, there's so many there's outlets everywhere at this point now. Like, do you? I mean, if you just carry a cable. Uh, in many ways, you're probably you know going to be just fine. You can probably find some USB port somewhere to plug into to get yourself topped up on a charge. And of course, these batteries aren't that expensive, like the one you bought for your wallet. I mean, that was a, a, what was it 15, 15 20 bucks, bucks at yeah. the most. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at and in and, and, and many cases, too, and that was, you know, that was just nice because it fit in the wallet. But um, if you you can easily find, you know, these other batteries that are really slim and, uh, you know, fit in your pocket, you know, fairly comfortably and 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 whatnot. And you're I don't know. I mean, I, I, I always think about you know, making sure that I'm never without power, but it's, I can't tell you the last time I've run out of power on my phone. I mean, I, I don't even get, you know, anywhere close to it, um, was traveling over the last week and, um, you know, I never had to charge it and I was roaming the entire time I was using it. And, you know, worst case, I think one day at, 
you know, midnight, I was down to 10% or something like that. But, um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't, it, your phones, if you manage it right, you know, you're probably not getting down and, and or you're able to, uh, you know what you need to do. You've got an extra battery pack that you're carrying or whatever. But uh, either way, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different options out there, a lot of good things. So, uh, but Jamie, interesting concept nonetheless. Thank you very much for writing in about it. Well, if you've got any questions or comments for us, uh, give us a call, uh, 650-999-0524, or send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com, and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.